Welcome to the Finding Faster Podcast. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for listening. There was a lot of racing going on over the past week. We'll go over the highlights from around the world with my co-host and husband, Dave LaTourette. Welcome back, Dave. Thanks, Jen. Good to be back, of course. Piece of cake. So now that you have a segment for me on your podcast, the Endurance and Performance Podcast, I figured I would just have to create some kind of balance here and carve out a little corner for Coach Dave as well called Hubby's Hot Corner. So for this first segment, let's talk about the past week. Um, Your athletes at Santa Rosa 70.3, highlights from Ohio 70.3, and then we'll move into some of the Ironman races. Yeah, so I mean, in some of the athletes we talk about, you know, we, we have within our team, uh, our trainer and our group, and oh, they were racing at both races, Santa Rosa 70.3 and um, two athletes at, at Ohio 70.3. And with the Santa Rosa race, being a hometown race for us and a lot of our athletes are, are local, um, we obviously have, end up having a lot of people racing. So it was, and it was a good day. You know, the funny thing was, is like, when you look at all our athletes, if you just looked at times, we had about... I think there were five athletes that were within about 10 minutes of each other, which was male, female. It was didn't a little matter. hometown showdown. It was pretty, it was pretty cool. <laughs> um, because, but because of where they started, some of them on the swim, they, they didn't know exactly where they were, but when they were riding, because they all swim similar too, but just enough so they all, all saw each other. So that was kind of fun. So we ranged anywhere from, you know, an athlete going, um, you know, 4.30 in the race up to, you know, six and a half, seven hours in the race, male, female. Um, we had top five age groupers in their, in their, um, you know, in their age group too. So it was, I mean, it was a really good day, but the one thing that I liked is we actually had three athletes that were racing that were coming back from at some point in the last year, bike crashes, um, some self-inflicted, you know, some just, you know, it's just the way it happens. Misfortune. You, yeah. You ride long enough. There's two types of cyclists, those who crashed and those who will, um, and it was it was good to see some of them. You know, one of one of our athletes, Steve Beeler, and we're talking about Steve, and hopefully he doesn't mind us mentioning his name, but he had a bad crash last year at the Santa Rosa seventy point three, and um, really struggled coming back for a while. Well, just part of that's the way Steve is. He's competitive, and you know, it's what he really what he likes to do. So he struggled more with the mental side of it. Well, he has a very demanding yeah uh, demanding job job and yeah, career absolutely physically demanding. But the big part with that for him was coming back and really just finishing. You know, he's had some other issues coming back from from the crash. Um, but to see him come back and see him come across the line was, it was sort of like this 365 day, big old circle that finally got him to the finish line. Um, so, you know, Steve, Steve was one of those people and overall we had a great day and my, and my highlight, and I think you might agree with this too, is overall it was a day that saw no drama. Yeah. Big Mikey had a flat and you know, there were a couple other little things too, but for the most part to see everybody, execute their races and succeed succeed with their races um yeah some were right where they expected to be some were a little slower uh we had a couple prs too so it was you know it was a good day uh in santa rosa yeah i have to agree it it made the heart feel good to see steve-o at the finish line with a big smile and uh his wifey his wifey lonnie too um you know here's a guy who's like you know, a, a Kona qualifier and a, a really talented, uh, tremendous athlete. And to just see him um, have the same tenacity and will to just cross the finish line, no matter what came up, um, even in the past few weeks, you know, a, an adductor muscle strain. I just, uh, I was really and truly impressed. I think most with this race, maybe more than any of the other ones, even on when he got on the podium, you know, it's just, um, a true testament to his mental fortitude and strength. And that's really what the, the Ironman spirit is all about, right, Dave? Yeah, and for him, to be honest with you, if, if he was going to start, he was going to finish. And that I never worried about that other than, okay, just be safe, Steve. Right? But for him just to press the button and go to the start line was really the biggest thing because I think yeah. once he got over that hurdle. So, and it helped that his brother was racing, yeah. so that was a big part. So Santa Rosa was great, and then we had Ohio 70.3, um, the next day. And then we had two athletes, um, one of my athletes that lives in Alabama and one of my athletes that lives in Austin, and they went um, 
up there and raced. And Erin, who was a female athlete, she's from Austin. She was, she's coming back from knee surgery that was, you know, over a year ago. But it's, it's taken her some time through a lot of things and life changes too. She raced early in the year and she's continuing to get better. And our goal as coaches, and this has been big with Erin because Erin's a coach too, right. and is that it's the process. It's to really work through the process. We all imagine ourselves where we were when we were at our 100% best. And we always reference that. And it's, it's hard sometimes to take, a, take ourselves and think about where are we in the moment. And we, I think we're going to talk about that later when we talk about some performance stuff. But where are we in the moment and are we getting better in the process? And Erin is, and she had a fantastic race. Um, sixth in her age group, I think she was hoping to get maybe a roll down for New Zealand for Worlds in 2020. I think it rolled to fourth or fifth, so she missed it by one and missed the podium by one. But it's enough that it keeps her hungry, and she's going to look to race later in the year and, and, and keep going. Maybe come back to Santa Rosa 70.3 next year, too. And then uh, Manny Sanchez, who's an interesting story. Manny was a performer, former professional soccer player as a goalkeeper. And Manny and I worked together at uh, these camps that we would go all over the country and do. And he got into triathlon a number of years ago. And we, we, we just reconnected on Facebook initially. And now he's like, hey, hey Dave, I need, I need your help. <laughs> I'm going to do a 70.3. And now he's going to do Ironman Florida too. So he finished wow. and did fantastic too. So I'm really happy uh, for Manny. So one of your soccer plus camp guys. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Crossover athletes. Yep. I love them. Um, so... As far as the Santa Rosa 70.3 goes, so for next year, you're talking about 2020. That that kind of gets my wheels spinning about uh, race changes for next year. So next year, this race is going to be moving and flipping dates with Ironman Santa Rosa. And I think there's sort of a trickle-down effect with Utah and Texas. Can you tell me what the reasoning behind that shift is and, and maybe why Ironman would have switched that lineup? Uh First off, the shifts that are happening, first thing I think that really, two things that change the dynamics is that um, the old Ironman St. George, which is going to come in for a year, a single year, and replace St. George 70.3, which is about that first weekend, that time slot in May. So now you're looking at Texas two weeks before that, and then St. George 70.3, which St. George will be the uh, North American uh, Regional Championship, Ironman Regional Championship. And then we'll see Santa Rosa 70.3 the week after. And I think the, th- the thought process there was if we stack up three Ironmans in four weeks in, in the U.S., that somebody's going to suffer somewhere. Um, right. And then so they also feel that they had more success with the Santa Rosa races when they were flip-flop dates. Um, so the Ironman race going back to the end of July, which we're going to talk about Ironman Canada too and results, but... You know, and we'll talk about it later. But Ironman Canada Whistler, which is was last weekend, as well. That race is essentially being uh, replaced with Ironman Canada, which will be now in Penticton, and that's going to be a different date. So there's just and there's these. I think they're always searching for the best sort of balance of their races over different times of year. And you and I living here for so long now, that we've seen a lot of our local athletes that don't want to train for Ironman Santa Rosa in May because they feel it's too early. And and we get decent weather. We get good weather for the most part, other than right. it's winter. But right. I can imagine the people that are in other parts of the country, and it's not so much the weather, but it's darker in the winter, it's colder in the winter. And I think when people want to do an Ironman, they want to perform and they want to be on their best behavior per se. So I, I think from the athlete standpoint, but from you and I as coaches, I loved that progression of 70.3 in May, Get ready for that race. We don't even talk about Ironman at that point. We get ready for Santa Rosa 70.3. We focus on it. We could take a week where we recover and, and sort of reset the hit the reset button. And then we begin our build into to Ironman Santa Rosa in July. And that progression worked well for a lot of athletes. Yeah, and that brings up a great point. I think we've had this conversation um, quite a few times about uh, athletes in the area around here, at least in Northern California. I mean, we have really mild climate as far as um, other uh, Ironman athletes training in different regions of the country and the world. Um, but it gets cold here. People it don't gets re- cold. People it don't gets realize cold. that. It gets cold and wet and, you know, it's... Not it can be really rainy yeah. in the winter yeah. time. But um, we get some years where you can ride all winter. So yep. um, I think the potential sometimes is for overtraining or early burnout. Like our, our a lot of our athletes, as you know, Dave, will 
will sign up. We hear from them in December. They're signed up in January, ready to hit it hard, and then they're at full gas until May or June, and then boom, done. Right. No, absolutely. It's... So this may uh, be a better option. I, I like it. I like the change. You know, I, I like the, the progression that we can get athletes to get them to do a little more racing and, and involvement for preparedness for the end of July. Now, thinking about the Ironman distance race, the 140.6 moving to July, what are you, you know, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of mixed feelings from athletes just because the potential for really hot weather was there this uh, past 70.3. I mean, what are your thoughts on an Ironman in Santa Rosa in July? Well, well, first off, we, we've always had an Ironman in late July, early August. Excellent with, point. With Vineman races. Lake Placid in July. It can get hot. It can get humid. It can get sticky there. All these European races, we see that they're in they're in July and they're in August. So and they they're they're well received. But the one thing, I don't know if everybody realizes this, but we can get really hot weather here in April and May too. Maybe slightly less chance that we'll get those get those kind of days. But we, we can get them. Um, even this year, we had almost 100-degree days a week before the 70.3. So it's, it's possible that we can get those. That's the first side. The second thing is is we've had the 70.3 now, or let's see, one, Ironman Santa Rosa, and now three episodes of, of Santa Rosa 70.3, I think it is, or wherever we're at. But if we, in July, and if we look at the end of July and we pick that particular date, you know, when we did Ironman Santa Rosa, the first edition, the high temperature in July, we were 78, 7 or 78 degrees. It was not hot. It wasn't even remotely hot. It was... Yeah, it was, I remember it, working in the expo, yeah. running the massage tent that was uh, actually cold. Everybody was shivering. It, it was beautiful. You know, we we're in downtown Santa Rosa. The wind was blowing. And I remember I was working with Mike Riley at the finish. And we're we're zipping up puffy jackets oh, yeah. in July. So and the reality of that is it's warm during the day and it gets warm, but it cools down really quickly at that race. So yes, the potential for hot weather is there. The good thing, even if it's hot, it still cools off in the evening. And the beauty of it is, is that the run course has a significant amount of shade. And then the longer the day goes on, four o'clock, five o'clock, six o'clock, when most places are at their peak, we're starting the temps come down. But on that course, because of the trees that surround the course, now you're going to be even in more shade. Yeah, and it's a little out West County, so right. you get a marine layer kind yeah. of rolling in. Yeah, and but it's so the potential for hot, sure, absolutely. But the reality is, average high temperatures, 83, 84 degrees, marine layer in the morning, starts getting cool at three or four in the afternoon, not seven at night. So the, there's more reality of people getting chilled than there are people overheating on most years, too. Right. And last year, I think the, the weather was, was really good. for. The weather's been good. We haven't had... The last weekend was the hottest day we've had for any of the Santa Rosa races in, right. in the last three years that it's been here. So, Good point. Good point there, Dave. Okay, so that's sort of wrapping up the 70.3 races. We'll take a quick break, and then we'll come back with... Ironman Lake Placid and Canada Whistler and a few others. Welcome back everyone. This is our Ironman update from around the world. Hi Dave. Wifey, what's cracking? Uh, Ironman races. <laughs> yeah. I think we're in the thick of the, the Ironman race season around the world here. Yeah, sort of coming to the end of it actually. Yeah. Yeah. So I think this week we had Canada, Hamburg, Lake Placid. And those were all last weekend. And those yeah, were all, all last, last weekend. weekend. And then Ironman Tallinn in Estonia. Yeah, if that's how you pronounce it, who I knows? Think, but... <laughs> I don't know. I might have butchered that. No, I apologize no. to my I, Estonian I don't friends. I don't know it either. <laughs> okay, so let's start with uh, a classic, Ironman Canada. Yeah, classic Ironman Canada, but um, we can talk classics because that race is going back to... Uh, Penticton, which that's really the classic. You know, I'm pe so excited about pe that. People, people have really liked Whistler in general, but the dynamics of the course and the communities, it just, I don't think it's just been the right venue. Um, didn't seem like it got as much traction as Penticton no, did. It didn't. It? You know, it's actually got, a, it's a great place to stay. There's because it's, you know, it's a, a skiing community or a, a resort town. So there's plenty of places to stay and it's beautiful, but the courses have, have become more challenging and a little more logistically difficult as I understand it mainly because some communities how they want the race to evolve so 
Uh, but going back to Penticton, I think, is is wonderful. Yeah, it sort of kind of reminds me of uh, the evolution of Ironman Lake Tahoe. Yep. But uh, Ironman Canada Penticton was a really beautiful race. So happy to see it, it, it go back there. Wonderful community. And I understand that it sold out in how many minutes? So, like uh, 24 hours, I think. 24 hours? Yeah. Outstanding. Totally excited to see it go back to, to Penticton. But for now, let's talk about the Whistler race. So the Whistler race was, a for, for females, it was a female pro-only race, which means there were two spots, two qualifying spots for Kona. And we're getting to that last, in two weeks from now, at Mont-Tremblant will be the last qualifying race for Canada. So we're sort of at this this tipping point where athletes who haven't qualified are trying to, you know, do they want to do another race and qualify or they want to just skip Kona this year and start to look for 2020. Um, but a great race at Ironman Canada. When you look down the start list, it was really some some really top level names on the start list. Dee Dee Griesbauer, who is oh no, Dee Dee's forty six, forty seven. Love Dee Dee because <laughs> she's from the East Coast where where I grew up, and um, I just love for a grit. Probably is the right yeah. word for Dee Dee, and you know she's sort of Tenacious. a she's a weeble. You know she is. A she weeble. gets knocked down and she gets her butt back up again. But um, Jody Robertson, Dee Dee Griesbauer. Um, a Northern California athlete who a lot of people don't know because she seems to race in, in South America a lot is Kelsey Withrow. She's yeah. raced here in Santa Rosa, but she picks her races smart. Um, Jen Annette, she's a Canadian, strong cyclist. Um, and then, of course, Heather Wartell. So when we looked at that, you know, it was, it's hard to look past a couple of them and hard to look past Heather Wartell. And at the end of the day, Heather with a great race where it went 920 and won the race. And, wow. And was five, seven minutes clear and sort of cruising uh, so our if, race if, winner. Yeah, if you can actually cruise to, to Jen Annette in second. And um, Jen had a great race. She comes out of the water a little bit back, but she methodically picks her way into the race. And then Kelsey Withrow, who's always out of the water early. She's a good swimmer. Yeah, she's a great swimmer. Um, she swam with she swam with Heather, and um, you know, but Heather sw- rode a good 20 minutes faster than Kelsey. And I would have to think for Kelsey, it was more about the Kona spot um, at the end of the day. There were two spots. So Heather Wartell turned down the spot to Kona, which I think people probably knew she was going to do that. Right. Because I think Heather's focus is beyond Kona now. She's, I always hate to say, you know, maybe on the backside of her career, but more intelligent thinking that I, I can make more money financially by winning Canada and skipping Kona and maybe doing something different later in the year. Um, so Heather turned down her spot. Jen Annette took a spot and then Kelsey Withrow got the roll down. So Right. Um, Kelsey going to Kona for the first time, and I believe Jen will go to Kona for the first time as a pro. So, Yeah, um, c- congratulations to Kelsey Withrow. I want to give her a little shout-out and local love. Um, you know her from Vanderkitten days, and she's a heck of an athlete and a, a great lady. Glad to see her finally get uh, her spot to Kona and check that box. I know she's been working hard for it. So congratulations to Kelsey and Jen. Tell me a little bit about Jen. Well, we should um, first talk Dee Dee Griesbauer. Didi hold on, held on for fourth, so yes. great race for Didi. And the money, you know, they paid eight deep, so well done for Didi. But Jen Annette is just, she's a young Canadian um, who's trying to make her way. You know, last year we saw her at Ironman, Ironman Lake Placid have a good race, and she's had some other good races too. Really, really strong athlete, really strong, you know, typically on the bike, but it looks like she rode really smart at Canada and then ran 312, which that's not, I wouldn't expect her to have the fastest run split. But she had the fastest run split. That's outstanding. That's fantastic. So Jen with a fantastic race at, uh, at Ironman Canada. Maybe an athlete to watch. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And fourth was Dee Dee Griesbauer. Who came in and rounded out the podium in fifth? Uh, well, they go. They would probably go eight deep there with money. Um, but uh, Jody Robertson from the U.S. was, um, was fifth was there fifth. in 9.47. So we're seeing a lot more pros making maybe some professional decisions about whether or not they're going to check that Kona box if they've already done it, maybe just focusing more on earning a paycheck. Yeah, I, it's, it's, some people get sponsor bonuses just by being able to go to Kona, and some people can afford it or want to invest in going that way. And then some athletes, and, and when we talk about, I'll talk about Mont Tremblant, which is coming up in two weeks, about some choices that people are making to race there to, for the last, their, their last chance to go to Kona. And it starts to get close. At the end of July, I think it's really not a bad. They still have like 10, maybe 11 full weeks to before they go to Kona. So they have a time to recover and truly recover and do a big a normal buildup. So I don't think the timing of it is that bad for the professionals that can, that can recover. But some people are just like, I don't have any desire to go to Kona, whether it's now or, you know, or again, if they used to. 
the simple fact is I may go have a great race and I'm 15th. I don't get any media coverage. I don't get any TV coverage. I don't get any online coverage. No money. And, you know, no money. So for them, um, and, and the, the sport for the pros is changing just a little bit. I actually like this new format in terms of qualifying because at the end of the day, when we look at the start list in Kona, anybody that you would, for the most part, other than a couple, that you'd expect to be in Kona, they're going to be there. They've all raced intelligently, picked their races intelligently, and, and we'll see how that evolves in the next few right. years. So this is post-KPR Yeah, this is the really. first year without the Kona points ranking. Right, right. so it'll be kind of interesting yep. to see the, the trickle-down effect from that. And I think maybe, too, Dave, we'll see maybe in our athletes who have been racing Ironman for a lot of years and are, like you're saying, getting to the latter half of their career, making different decisions, stretching out their ability to race. I mean... I think one thing that was a, a real drawback for pros in the KPR system was all the pressure to race frequently in Ironmans, right? Yeah, and, and some some people... To a point of being unhealthy. Yeah, to the point of being unhealthy, but it was their choice because they thought for them it was the do-all, end-all to be in Kona, but they would go to Kona, and there was no financial resource or fi- no, no financial kickback for them to even go. We're smart athletes, and I'll reference someone like a Justin Dare, who I know, and a couple other guys like... I'm not going to race for Kona. I, I'm going to go to Montremblant. I'm going to go to Wisconsin. I'm going to go to Chattanooga. I'm going to go to these other races where the most of the big hitters are in Kona or they're prepping for Kona. I am going to go here. I'm going to get a paycheck. I'm going to get my sponsor bonuses, and I'm going to pick races intelligently, uh, which and I earn think Earn a is, living as a pro. Yeah, earn a living as a pro as opposed to just chasing points. And I think everybody's everybody's process with that and their viewpoint is different for some of them they do want to just go to conan maybe they have the financial resources to that they can take the hit for which a lot of for a lot of pros they take a hit going to conan oh yeah you know but maybe for their sponsors it's the best thing well things that make you go hmm yeah exactly all right so let's uh roll into the men's side here yeah so let's go so we'll go in there's no men's race in um at Whistler, female only race. So, so there was two only spots. Race. Awesome. So let's let's talk about Hamburg. I okay. Think. Hamburg. So we'll talk about Ironman Hamburg, which uh, let's talk about the men's race on 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 that side of it. Um, that was won by a Danish guy, I believe his name was Christian or Chris Hogenhaug, and probably a name. I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm I'm not really familiar with that name, but Hamburg flat course. Um, so times you know times were fast. Eight ten, eight eleven won the race, and Christian took the one men's spot. Oh, wow. That was there. So Christian Haugenhaug, uh, Rudy Wild, who's an old ITU athlete, and Paul Schuster, top three. Paul Schuster's from Germany. We've seen his name, yes. you know, rolling around, you know, the system. The Ironman team. Yeah, rolling around the system a lot. And then on the women's side, what was really neat about the women's side is it was actually somewhat surprisingly really strong field and a deep field, but... A lot of the athletes are already Kona qualified, which is sort of changes the race. It changes the racing dynamic because now you have some athletes that are like, I'm already qualified for Kona. I'm going to go race. Where's my fitness? I'm going to go race. And then you have other athletes monitoring it, and they're just going to look at it and say, I just need my Kona spot. There's one spot. Two ahead of me have already qualified, so I just need third. Or I just need, you know, right. you, you can. it's hard to play that game, but I think you go there still to win knowing that, okay, if I win, I know I have the spot. But also when you're in the race and you look around, you're like, okay, I'm in third. Fourth is 10 minutes behind me and I got 10, five miles to go. I know I can manage that. But if I push too hard for the second or first, I might blow up and not get my spot. So there's sort Yikes. of a, a race within a race. And it's, right. But it makes it fun. It, it makes it, it fun make to it watch fun. it. And curiouser and curiouser, right? Are they burning matches for Kona? Right. Or are right. they um, revealing a little too much? Or are they making a deposit? Well, I think for Thanks. some of them, it's so far out. It's 13 weeks out that they can race hard. They say it's a good race, and they come back, and they say, okay, I'm deficient here. I'm really good here. I'm deficient here, whether it's them and their, or their coaches. So I think most of those ladies, they're not going there to just take it over. They're going to go race and push the envelope so that they know come October or between now and October what they're going to need to work on to you know improve their chances in in Kona. yeah yeah right. absolutely so so talk about the ladies yeah yeah no on on that on that side of it um the the Susie Cheatham who's from Great Britain won the race Sarah Piampiano from Northern California local girl. Uh, ran really well it was hot but she ran 256 she races Impressive. really smart she always struggles on the swim like she's always in 
this sort of disappearing ghost land when she comes out of the swim. It's like, where's Sarah? And then you just watch her sort of move her way up. Maybe that's her strategy. No, yes. I and mean, that's just the way she is. You know, and she's, and she, and she, she trains how. a lot with Kelsey Withrow. Oh, uh, yeah. There's a group of pro women in the Bay Area that sort of, you know, use each other in, in a positive yeah. way. They pal yeah. around. It's nice to see. Yep. Uh, Julia Geyer from, from Germany was third. And then we, you know, we talked names. Caroline Steffen, who was already co- oh, qualified, yeah. was fourth. So Sarah was already called Kona, Kona qualified. Um, Sarah was Kona qualified, and I believe Susie Cheatham was already Kona qualified. So to be honest with you, I'm not. I'll have to look. I'll look back while we're talking. I'll see if I can figure out who took that spot. Okay. Um, but it, you know, that's a nice thing with with that racing there is that um, there was. Kona qualified people and people that still needed that spot. And there was people only one the and there was only one spot. Wow. Yeah. Competitive field. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So let's talk about Lake Placid. So here, I just I just found that. So oh, okay. we have a, a woman named Martina Kuntz, who finished fifth, got the one spot. So Wowza. there's four ladies in front of her were already Kona qualified. So um, so the question was, how far back was she from that key four? Well, she was 10th tenth, tenth from 4th, 20th from 3rd minutes, 30 minutes from 2nd, you know, and basically 1st. So she was way back from the, from the win. Right. Um, but behind her was 20 minutes. So she, had, she was in a, a zone there was like, I'm not catching 4th. 5th, 6th uh, isn't going to catch me because she's so far back. So she probably just knew and she could she could cruise that right. way. So. so the interesting part about that is is the number and the caliber of women racing in that field. Right. And you're still getting a Kona spot mm-hmm. at, that, at that position. Yeah, and, you know, she knew that going in. And that's, you know, that's part Smart. of it. Smart. Lake Placid was similar, too. But I guess I think we talk about Lake Placid. Yeah, let's talk about one of my favorite classic races. Other than Canada, Lake Placid, love this race, Absolute, love the community. Absolutely, love the community, and I like it. It's a, it's a challenging course. It is. It's hard. You know, it's a challenging course. The weather was, for the most part, good for racing. It was not hot. It was a wetsuit swim for the age groupers, not for the pros, which for the pros it rarely is. A little humid. Yeah, it's always humid. It always has that possibility. It's the Northeast, so you know, one day it's sunny and 70 and dry, and the next day it's 82 and humid. When I raced there, the one time that I raced there, it was mid-upper 80s, and it was humid. But considering where I was training at the time, it was yeah. it was tough. But it was I was adapted, so it wasn't too bad. The only time I ever raced in Lake Placid, it poured buckets, and all I remember yeah. was that the town showed up, no matter how bad it was. They were out there in their, you know, galoshes and big raincoats, handing out soup and pouring rain. I gotta hand it to them. The crowd support is like no other in yeah. Lake Placid. No, I agree. So let's talk about the race. Yeah. So the. Um, the, the winner was Matt Russell, Matt Russell from the U.S. He's already Kona qualified. The story with Matt that's pretty cool is that he grew up in that area, and he did his first triathlon in that lake, so in Mirror Lake. Oh, wow, at okay. one of those. They have a series in the summer where they do little mini sprint triathlons. Right. So pretty cool for him to go back. That's you awesome. Know, uh, in that community. How exciting. And, and win an Ironman there. Guy. And it's been a few years since Matt's, Matt's won an Ironman race. He's had some good races, but it's been a while since he won an Ironman race. So coming back from a layoff. Yep. So he's Kona qualified. Joe Gambles was second. Mark Doolson from Germany was in third. Um, Brent McMahon in fourth. And James Caparel was in fifth. And some of the stories within the stories is so Joe, Gamble, Joe. Joe Gambles and Mark Doolson got their Kona spots. And Brent McMahon, who's been chasing a Kona spot all year, I think yeah. that's his third Ironman where he's missed out. A couple of the other races he DNF'd. Um, Did he clutch it? No, and he got to within a minute and 15 of Mark oh, Doolson. heartbreaker. Yeah, he was actually up into second, and then he started, he was having a problem. It looked like an SI thing because he was stretching his hamstring, and they saying that his foot was numb and oh, a number guy. of different things. But then he sort of he sorted it out, and he started passing people and coming back and he almost got himself in, into that spot too. So Joe Gambles with the spot and Mark Doolson and Joe Gambles was flying it. When we looked at, I was watching the coverage being the junkie that I am. Yes. <laughs> um, and I'm watching Joe and he's taking 20 or 30 seconds a mile out of Matt Russell up to about, and Matt let off the bike with a course record bike split. And then you looked at it and the way Joe was running, you're like, Oh, Joe's going to catch him by about mile 15. Right. I mean, it was that it was moving down that quick. And then, then Joe just jumped on the bonky donkey at about mile, oh no, maybe 10. Like maybe, now you're still moving pretty good, 11. Maybe Cracked be, open yeah. like an egg, huh? And you could see him just slow. He was oh, still running guy. still running, and he slowed down, which was, he knew, okay, now I, now this is where the mentality of an athlete changes to, 
I'm not going for the win anymore. <laughs> I've, got to, I've got to survive and get my Kona spot. So, but he also knew he had some cushion to be able to do that. So, you know, he, he just had to figure his way out and got himself to the finish line. He even said, he goes, man, I had a dark, dark moment from 11 to like 17 or 18 to dig or something deep in like that, that well, too. Right? And then he was in no man's land. He knew he, he knew he couldn't win at that point, but he knew he had the spot sewed up. So it's good to see Joe have a nice race. And it was cool to see him actually race. You know, he, was, he, yeah. went, he went for it on the run. What, took a huge risk. Yeah, and I bet he, he would admit now that I, I probably didn't need to take 30 seconds a minute a right. mile out of mat, I probably could have taken 15, 15. And, and waited until mile 22 or 23 Let to catch him. A little yeah. bit. So anyway, so nice race for Joe. And then Mark Doolson, who was obviously at the end battling with Brent, but there were a couple, three other guys that were, it was this really dynamic three or four guys just moving around where Mark Doolson sort of went backwards into fifth or, four, or fourth and then came back to third. So um, really. And as a fan, that's like the no, stuff you love to it see. It was fantastic. You know? Yeah, it was fantastic. So that's your... Um, your top, and there's two spots there, of course, like I said, and then um, it was, yeah, it was fantastic racing. Awesome. Okay, our final Ironman around the world is Ironman Talon in Estonia, and I hope I'm not butchering that name, but tell us a little bit about this race. Um, I don't know a lot about it. It's it's a race in Estonia, which it's a newer it's a newer Very race new. on the circuit. Um, it was a for it was a female pro only race, and okay. there would have so if there was. Um, female pro only race. There were there were two spots. So like and, Canada. Uh, yeah, similar similar to Canada in that there were two, there were two spots. So the winner is and she's actually familiar. She's a female athlete who has done. She won the Asia Pacific Regional Champs probably five years ago and just ran spe- spectacularly. She's a beautiful runner, Corinne Abraham, and she always seems to be off and on injured. One of those athletes, but when she's on. Really, she really lights it up. Really tough, you know, and strong. So, um, Corinne took the race in eight fifty five. Um, Kristen Leopold in from Germany in second, and Kimberly Morrison in third. And the interesting thing there is that there were two spots. Corinne took one, and um, Kimberly Morrison took the took the spot in third. So Kristen Leopold. Um, rolled her spot down, and there was only and there were only fifteen seconds between those two. So. Kristen Leopold ran 253, 253 to run over the top of Kimberly Morrison, who ran 321. So Smoking she was, hot. she was, she was, she on was the, burning she, up the pavement. <laughs> Kimberly Morrison was on the fade, and I don't know if she knew at that point. You know, she's thinking, I just lost my Kona spot. Right. Um, but so that's that was a race in Estonia. One of the stories there is they moved. And kudos to the organizers because they moved the race from like a sea swim. It was very cold, like 11 degrees C, which is uh, low 50s, like Ouch. maybe 50 degrees. Fahrenheit and found a way to move it to an inland lake, which was warmer, and that's tough to do, you know, yeah. logistically to move everything around. Oh yeah, yeah, to be but able to do that. But those fifty degree Ironman swims, man, they just take so well, much out of you. That's too cold. That's a that's a temperature where you know they need to you know they need to cancel the swim. So right. it looks like Kristen Leopold was was previously qualified. So um, Kimberly Morrison would have would have known. Yeah, she qualified at Ironman Cannes earlier in the year in June. Right. So so, so again, a case of. Uh, Pros making smart professional yep, choices absolutely. about where to race. Absolutely. Um, depending on what their goals are, whether that's yep. money or Kona spot. Well, the or... impressive thing there with Kristen Leopold running low two fifties. That's crazy. You know, that's, fast. that's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. That's in the the runny category. Okay. So well, that's Iron Man around the world for this week. Thanks, Coach Dave. Of course. Up next, hot tips with the hubby. Okay, it's time. It's time for Hubby's Hot Corner. Welcome back, Dave. <laughs> now you get to put your your coaching hat on and take off the announcer's hat. Yeah, smoking hot now, right? <laughs> I will tell you that my, my husband, Dave, is a total um, stats nerd. Whether it's soccer or Ironman or basketball, whatever current thing is on in our household other than Netflix, he is a complete stats nerd. So... You can guarantee he's he's looked at all these events in detail. Or I'm making them up. Or you're making it up. <laughs> but anyway, I feel like we've we've uh, covered the seventy point three and the Ironmans around the world. So now let's bring in a little couple hot tips for our everyday athletes. What are your three performance tips for this week for our age groupers? Um, talking performance and, and reflecting really on the racing over the last few weeks, and I look at it from our athletes or my athletes 
um, and what and I, observations yeah, of others. Observations <laughs> of others, but I, you know, I can see data from my athletes, but you know, I, and I see the observations of a lot of athletes race, and I see a lot of common mistakes every week, every month, every year, constantly. And and one one thing that I see is what I want to refer to is you know racing to your current fitness. You know, we see certain athletes, and I and I see a lot of this early in a racing year. Oceanside. I always tell athletes that are going to Oceanside seventy point three early early season race. Race to your April fitness, not to your July fitness. Because right. in the back of our heads, you know, we start to see numbers and heart rates and paces a little bit in training that resemble that. You're talking about our North American athletes. Yeah, or right. you know anybody really. But right. when we think about your races in the early season, um, think about you know you probably don't have as much depth in let's say April or late March, early April that right. you're going to have in July, you know, regardless of the winter you've had, unless for some reason you've been training the house down in the winter, which that doesn't always serve you well in July. Riding the turbo. Yeah. So the biggest thing is have a really good understanding of where your fitness is in the moment. You know, are you coming off any kind of injury or illness or layoff or anything? And I think that's where it helps to log all your training. Look back, where are you truly at? What kind of things have you done in training that dictate where you should be from a racing standpoint? So that's maybe a little bit generic in nature to say that, but I think you have to have a good understanding um, you know, of where you're at currently. And that's one of the reasons I, and I know you, like to have your athletes race a little bit. You know, if you're doing Santa Rosa 70.3 in July, do an Olympic distance race like in Monterio in um, June, and we'll have a good idea where your fitness is in June, but all of a sudden we may have to make some adaptations. So race to your fitness at, at the race that you're doing. Right, and, and I would have to agree with that. It's uh, having a little perspective on where you are currently, and sometimes things get in the way or, or, or uh, yeah. things happen. And being honest with yourself, and that's, that's the biggest thing. I, I think any athlete should be honest with themselves if you don't have a coach. If you have a coach, coach you better be honest with your athlete set up a, a pacing plan or race strategy that at least allows you at whatever fitness that you have that you can feel somewhat strong or durable and or durable the last half of the, of the run. Yeah, know? that's a really good point because it's interesting. Sometimes athletes think we have ESP or we figure out things through osmosis. And um, a lot of times you're not always understanding clearly what's going on with the athlete if they're not giving you a lot of information and I think really you know if you're not in a relationship with a coach where you feel like you can trust being a little vulnerable and and revealing hey I'm not feeling so strong about this or I'm not quite feeling good yet or just being completely honest about where you're at um, that that can certainly be a hindrance yeah absolutely in the process so what's your next tip um there's, there's, we have three, you know, three things, and they all sort of lay into each other, but the second and third do definitely. And I'm seeing more and more, and there's sort of branches to this tip, is that I believe that the large majority of triathletes quite simply need to swim more, um, which makes them be better swimmers. Um, swimming, is, there's a big technical component to the swimming, so obviously become a better swimmer through being more proficient at swimming, but also swim more. And there's a lot of pieces to that. I think when you, you're confident in your swim volume and the work that you've done, then there's less anxiety around the swim. Um, if you're really fit swimming, you're not going to be worried about whether a swim is a wetsuit legal or a non-wetsuit legal swim. Again, right. reduces some anxiety. The other piece to that that I believe is underappreciated is, and it's my goal as a coach, if I can get it to happen, is that when athletes get out of the water, it's not that they get out and feel like they haven't done anything. That's probably not the way to say it, even though I say it that way. But so that the swim that you have, regardless of distance, Ironman, 70.3 Olympic, that that swim has as little impact on the rest of your day as possible. Um, Right. I like to call that the proverbial burning of the matches. Yeah, just you don't want to burn too many of them. And I see it in the data with athletes who we see, always see, typically highest heart rates from athletes that we see across a day are when they get out of the water, stand up, and move about 30 yards. Their heart rate just goes through the roof. And that's not so much that they're working that hard, 
but it's just the way the nature of oh, blood flow and exertion. Lack of fitness too. Um, yeah, lack of fitness. And it's not so much that it goes high. What the lack of fitness shows is that they can't get their heart rate down. Yeah. So at certain races, I'll have a goals with a lot of the athletes is swim your swim, whatever we decide for pacing and effort, and get your heart rate down by X place or X mileage. Um, and some athletes, because they overexert on the swim with a lack of fitness, can't do that. And then they spend however much time on the bike trying to recover from the swim or never recovering from the swim. Um, and, and though it doesn't affect them in the first part of the bike, it affects you later in the run, the last 5 miles, 10 miles, 15, 20, whatever that is. Right, that cumulative load. Yeah. So, so I think if, if you can do as much as you can swimming to have, it, have as little impact on the rest of your day, um, most athletes will have better races because of that. Yeah, it's interesting that you point that out because I think one of the things that I've noticed over the years as a uh, as a coach and a, personally as an athlete too is there seems to be a lot of emphasis and hoopla around the brick workouts, right? The the bike to run, mm-hmm. right? Um, but one of the investments that that I like to see athletes do that that I work with is and and personally for myself is the combination session. And that's what we call it, but it's really a, a, a swim to run brick. Yeah. And it's amazing to me consistently how many athletes have a lack of awareness of how much energy they're blowing when they get out of the swim and they run two or three miles. Yeah. And it's just a short run you follow up with, but man, it's right. amazing how much your fitness changes and how much your body adapts over weeks and months and let's say even years right. of doing these combination sessions where you're taking the time to do a swim and then do a short run after, um, you learn a lot about yourself and controlling that pace and that effort and that heart rate and, and um, knowing what it feels like and, and knowing um, but, but even and even not even having to, to control, control the pace is one. So I think two things, and you're dead on, is that sometimes it's like go do your swim and have a hard swim. Right. And then go do your run afterwards. And then you'll have a really clear picture of how much the swim takes out of you. And, you know, you can do it with a bike right after. And we do it for athletes doing long races. They do a swim. They even take a break and have something to eat in between and then do the bike. And then they get on the bike and they're like, oh, that took a lot out of me. Okay, awareness now of how much the swim takes out of them. So it's a combination of swim more, get more fit. Um, and you said to even do a short run, but you've had some training blocks where you've done is decided to do like, uh, like in the middle of the week, do a, a solid swim and then do a solid run. Afterwards. Yeah, swim two or three K um, and then go, go run 45 minutes. And I know just watching you as you get more fit, when you first start that, you're like, Oh, I struggled at the beginning of the run or I had to take extra nutrition or, but then as that evolves, I don't hear that from you. You're seeing me back. I had a good run. I had a good swim or whatever it is. And that's just fitness, but also an awareness of right. how to manage it. Right. And it's not something you need to do all, all no, year round. Absolutely uh, not. Gosh, right now I can barely swim yeah. 2,000 to go run. <laughs> but, you know, the funny part, too, is the terrain and the transition, too, um, which reminds me of the two races we have here in, San, in the Santa Rosa area, you know, Monterio, awesome little sprint triathlon where you get out of the river, Russian River, and you run up, up this hill yeah. all the way to transition. And it's... Very much like um, but every, almost the 70.3 every in Santa Rosa, you go straight uphill. But almost every race is that way because bodies of water lay low. Right. And it's very rare that you're coming out of the water. I've, although Lake Placid, ironically, you actually run downhill to get to the transition. I don't know how yeah, that works out. Yeah, I don't out. know how that works. But a lot of races is that you have to go up at a certain level. Yeah, Chattanooga, level. you yeah. get out, you go up. Everything does. Louisville, it doesn't, Louisville. it doesn't matter. You can go down the list that there's a certain amount of, even if it's just flat, there's still stress there. Yeah, so it it it's always amazing to me. It's funny when when I'm like, okay, let's let's do a swim, and we're gonna go run up that hill from from the pool here. Yep. And they're like, yep. really? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. So moving right along, tip number three. So on going on from you know the swim and trying to become a better swimmer to become a better athlete in general is and talk about pacing, and that's the, the next piece that I want to kind of lay into this is sort of the pacing. I, I don't know that a lot of athletes have a concrete pacing plan in terms of how to execute their race and in a very generic standpoint and I'll say it to my athletes and generically like if all their data went 
blew up on them during race day, no Garmin, no, no anything, then at the end of the day, we want to build effort across the day and build heart rate across the day. Now, it may not mean that if you start at whatever heart rate on the bike that your bike is faster at the end, but if you can build effort across the day or the race, then there is no doubt in my mind that you have a very good race. Um, it's when pace starts slowing, heart rate starts dropping, you can't keep heart rate up is an indication of you know a couple of things. Some of that's fueling, and a big part of that is early pacing. Right, and, and a lot of people don't realize that your early pacing affects your fueling later on. Oh, absolutely. And your core body yeah. temperature and a whole lot of other things. Going way too hard, way too early is, I just refer to it as a big glycogen dump. Your body just dumps all this glycogen that it, you're, you've stored to use. Um, and what's glycogen for our newbie well, athletes? sugar. Sugar. Your carbohydrate, right? Your blood right? sugar, so, right. Um, I want to bring up this real quick just because it just happened this weekend on the ride that you were on. I, I, I've been battling a cold, so I didn't get to witness this, but Dave, you were on this ride this weekend with our unnamed athlete who rode the bonky donkey pretty hard just on a group ride. Yeah. And we see this a lot just in regular group rides, right? Well, and in Not part, even just races. And part of that, and we'll go back to you because you're right, part of that may have been um, a combination of nutrition, pacing, and current fitness. And current fitness. Ride, even in training. So one of our athletes was taking a break. Um, he was on a group ride yesterday, and he hasn't ridden. But there were times where he put himself in the wind, took some strong pulls, rode some climbs um, hard, you know, that we do, like on some of our group rides, some of them are different, but this one was we're always going to regroup at a climb, so ride at your own rate. And with about an hour, over an hour to go with a little bit of climbing, he paid, paid the price for not riding to his fitness. I don't know about the fueling, but also maybe he could have paced better too. So it's, it, it came back to haunt him, you know, later in the day. He couldn't catch up. Pay the piper, right? Yeah, he couldn't catch up. And that's just, he knew it and he, he we laughed about it afterward. That's, but yeah. that's part of the learning. Right. So, you know, just making sure that we get our pacing right across the day. And it's really, I know it's really difficult because I've been there and I've made the mistake. Um, is that early in the race, you're full of adrenaline, you're full of caffeine, you're full of excitedness, you're full of fitness because you should be fresh. And it's hard to temper the effort when you don't feel like the effort is really that hard. You know, an athlete would say, well, I didn't feel like I was going too hard. I go, well, look at your heart rate. Look at your power that you decided not to look at in the most influential time of the ride, which is the first hour or whatever that is. Um, you know, we see athletes have their highest 60-minute, 45, 60-minute power the first hour of an Ironman. And we yes. don't want that. We want that to be the lowest hour of power, really. Um, we don't want it to be the highest, for sure. If it's steady, then it's steady. That's great, too. But we really want that first hour of power to be some of the lowest power that we put out. Um, so the worst thing that could happen, let's talk 70.3 in Ironman because that's what we've been talking about. You can talk about Olympic is if you feel for some reason that you underpace on the bike, then you've got either 10K, 21K, or 42K to make up for that underpacing. And okay, hang on. I had an athlete tell me this at the 70.3 that I coached. Never done a 70.3 before um, here in Santa Rosa this past time. So said, I started with the 45-minute the group swimming. I think I could have started with the 40-minute group. It was too slow. But went on to have a great bike ride and a great run and an awesome race. Right. So what would you say? Well, it's, it goes back to the athlete that says, Coach, I think I could have ridden faster. I go, nope, that means you rode perfectly. Exactly. So the athlete that says they think they could have ridden faster, 99% of the time rode correctly, assuming that their race didn't fade on the run. And the same, you know, the same thing um, applies of, I think I rode just perfectly. And you know, they had a fade over the last, let's say, 10K of the 13 miles. And I go, well, why did you fade the last 10K of the 13 miles? Um, maybe I could have eaten a little more or this, you know, or the, my, stomach, or was my stomach was bothering, which are all indications primarily of overpacing earlier in the day. So the reality is, and it takes a lot of courage to do it, to race that way and a lot of patience to race that way. And, and I'll leave with this is that it, it sounds kind of odd, but until you get it, you'll never get it. Meaning that if, until you actually pace it right and get it right, you'll never understand it. You yeah. know, and you have to you have to trust your coach and trust that that, that 
it, that's how it works out physiologically almost every time. Yeah, I have to agree with that. If you're going to take a risk, I like to tell my athletes, take a risk on the run. Take it late. And, and I'll even give athletes in an Ironman, I'll say, do it my way for 80 miles. If you get to 80 miles and you want to put the gas on, go for it. And at 70.3, I go, if you get to 35 miles and you feel like you can go harder, go harder. I have never had one athlete do that, get to those points and say, I went harder. For most, almost every athlete, they get to that point and they're like, oh, I'm pretty good. Right. <laughs> yeah. Mile 80s is where, where yeah. the reckoning yeah. comes is what I like and The to only say. athlete I've ever had do this, and, <laughs> and I'm going to have him on my show, is Chuck Sloan. It's a little bit different. When he evolved as an, a long-distance triathlete, we finally got to the point where we could pick two places in the race in Kona and say, if you feel fantastic, your numbers are easy, your heart rate's low, here's where we can race. But this is a guy who's on the podium in Kona who has such good fitness that he can manipulate Steeple it a little chaser. bit. Steeplechaser. Yeah, he, he did it. You know, A couple of places we did it was a little on the way to Javi, hard section, and then another hard section on the way back to town. And you know, But he couldn't do that his first one or two trips to Kona. It took him a number of trips to be able to have that kind of fitness and depth and understanding to be able to do that. Right, so when I talk about the subject with my athletes, it's, it's kind of interesting. I want to bring in a little bit of the psychological piece and talk about, you know, arousal control. So sort of staying in your bubble is what we call it. Um, let's, let's kind of wrap this piece up with that, with yep, racing absolutely. and your, controlling your, your bubble, right? Yep. Um, part of that is just having an awareness awareness of what you need, what you want at the end of the day, how you feel in the moment. And that's where having the ability to, what's your perceived exertion? If you're using heart rate, what's your heart rate? What's my power if you're using power on the bike? Whatever it is. And, and you notice that we never talk about speed because right. speed is a product of all, so those, all those things. So when people start racing by speed on the bike, it's, you know, I would take all my athletes, I have them pull it off their garment. Like, I don't even want you to see it because it's irrelevant. The other things matter. Perceived power, heart rate. Those are going to get you to a certain race time or ride time. Um, but staying in your bubble, it allows you to react to yourself and the conditions and not react to what other athletes are doing around you and being stimulated by what other athletes are doing around you. Now, the later the race goes, if it's late in the run, Maybe you come out of your bubble and use those athletes to be using for motivation or targets Energy, or carrots. Right. But for the most part, like you said, stay in the bubble. Right. And that's it, folks. Stay in your bubble. That's it. That's yeah. it. <laughs> and don't, don't let somebody pop it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really just about racing your own race. Right? It's really about protecting yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Stay inside the bubble. Yep. Anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks, Coach Dave. We'll talk to you next time. Peace out, everybody. Peace out.